Christians understand that it was necessary for Christ to shed his precious blood to bring us salvation. Unfortunately, very few Christians understand why Jesus had to shed his blood for us. Coming up, more about such costly love next on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. Well, last time on the Daily in Christ podcast, we shared the first half of a message that I preached at my home church titled, Such Costly Love. You know, a lot of Christians talk about the love of God, but do we really know the depths of His love, the greatness, even the radical nature of His love? Or how costly is his love? In this message, we get a much clearer view of his great love by looking at the dimension of the sacrifice of his love. The sacrifice of the Savior himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood and gave his life for you. Now, in the first part of this uh, two-part message. We talked about the demonstration of God's love. For God, his love is infinitely more than mere talk. It is significant and sacrificial love. And that demonstration is declared in Romans chapter 5, which says in verse 6, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We talked about the real condition of the sinner. Now, remember, the Bible calls sinners all who were born in Adam's sinning race. It never calls people who have been born again in Jesus' righteous race sinners. Born-again people are called saints by God. The real condition of the sinner is this, living the ungod life, in other words, ungodly. They're rebellious, they're idolatrous, selfish. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, it says that the sinner is by nature a child of wrath. It doesn't get any worse than that. Well, the response of a holy, righteous, and good God is judgment and wrath against sinners. And yet that same goodness of God and love intervenes to satisfy justice through the righteous sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus offered himself to satisfy justice. This is what the Bible calls propitiation. He sacrificed himself to bring atonement that brings us back to God. Now, Part 2 of our message, Such Costly Love. Why wrath? Well, we just read about it in Romans chapter 1. It says the wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Do you know that God would be totally fair if He executed justice and then left? Because if you want fair from God, you really don't want fair from God. I don't want fear from God. 
Because fair is justice for what I've done against him. But God, in the totality of his goodness, is loving. And love sees a situation and does everything it can to make that situation right. And it says here in Romans chapter 3 that God's justice, his wrath, is satisfied, is propitiated by Christ's blood. That's the blood of propitiation. Also, it's the idea of atonement. The blood satisfies justice. God doesn't sweep sin under the carpet. He deals with it. And it was dealt with through His Son. Do you realize that God Himself died for you, for me, to do this? And if you reject the blood of propitiation then how can you be saved from the coming wrath of God? You cannot. It is an insult to God to say, no, I think I'm good enough. I think I'm righteous enough. And push Him away. Push that blood. Push that Savior away. Don't do it. Receive Him. In Ephesians 2 verses 12 to 13, it says that that blood brings us near to Christ. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How many of you understand nearness to God in your personal life? Raise your hand. I do. And that's precious. That nearness to God was made possible through a heart of love that was sacrificial love. It was because of the blood of Christ. Number two, I want to talk about redemption blood. These are things that are not talked about very much in the church today, but God talks a lot about it in His Word. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 should be up here on the screen. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's speaking to leaders in the church to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The idea of redemption is a purchase. And I think you would agree with me that blood, Christ's blood, is extreme high value. First, it has value as a ransom. You know what a ransom is. Someone's kidnapped, they demand a certain amount to be paid, and that payment of the ransom results in them being freed from captivity. That's one dimension of redemption. It's being redeemed from sin, self, and Satan, and brought to God. But it isn't just from... Redemption is two. We're brought to Him. Where we belong to Him. In 1 Corinthians 6.19 it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? And here's the reason. Verse 20. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, 
Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's in 1 Corinthians 6. See, to me, this is incredibly encouraging to know that I don't belong to me. I don't belong to the world. I don't belong to Satan. I belong to Him. And do you know that belonging to Him means He's our Father. We are His children. And God is no deadbeat dad. He takes care of His kids. God takes care of His own. And He purchased you from the slave market of sin, self, and Satan. And He brought you into the into His home. Third, reconciliation blood. Reconciliation. Tyndale Bible Dictionary says this, Reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relationships and of peace where there had previously been hostility and alienation. There's a story of two brothers, and I don't know whatever transpired between them, but they became, the one became, the older became alienated from the younger. said, I want to have nothing to do with you. And he moved away. And the younger brother, they were both older men, old men at this point. The, the, the younger brother heard that the older brother was dying of cancer. But he was poor and he didn't have hardly any money at all, but what he had was a lawnmower. And he drove his lawnmower hundreds of miles to reconcile with his brother. And he did. They made a movie about it. His name is Alvin Strait. Think of the great distance he had to travel. How hard it was at his age. Think of the distance that God had to travel to reach you and reconcile you to Himself. He went from heaven to earth to a cross to be reconciled to you. This is love. This is costly love. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, we're talking about blood of reconciliation, says this, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And then we want to look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21. This is powerful. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself. Do you hear it? Both the idea of redemption is to Himself. Reconciliation is reconciled to Himself. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. I say parenthetically, why? Because Jesus Christ paid it all. Paid the full measure of justice. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Look at verse 21. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. 
He reconciled you. I, I feel led of the Lord to say this. I want you in your personal life and me in my personal life to get very familiar with this reconciliation. Think about, I think about the wrong I've done against Him. And He has never wronged me. Never. I've had situations where I've wronged somebody and they've wronged me, but He has never wronged me. And as long as I keep my mind in the place of that reconciliation, here's my next word. We should never be unreconciled to anybody except the devil. Don't do it by race. What's going on in this country and has been going on for a long time in terms of racial hatred must never be in the mind and the life of a Christian or a believer. Or whether it would be against women or against classes or whatever. And you know, this election cycle is driving me crazy because here we go again, we're agitating this division. But God has reconciled us to Himself. And He's called us to be ambassadors. And we operate in the embassy of love. And He's calling us with the great and royal purpose and message. You know, years ago, I was talking to a guy who was in construction. And he, I was in Christian broadcasting and radio at the time. He goes, you know, I have to be honest, I feel, I feel like a second-class citizen around someone like you. And I was shocked. I said, why do you say that? He goes, well, look, you're in Christian broadcasting and I'm, I'm just in construction. And I brought him to this text and I said, you are an ambassador. And your embassy is construction. Mine is broadcasting. I see the Confer family. Their embassy is involved with the businesses that they're involved with. Ambassadors for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. You have a message of reconciliation. And it starts with this imploring heart from God the Father through the Son. Be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we would become in Him the righteousness of God in Christ. God reconciled you to Himself. Now, you have the royal task, no matter what it is, where you are in life. Marcy, I think you work at ARL. I'm amazed at where God puts His people. How convenient. Ambassadors. Isn't that noble? And I, I could see the tears in this rugged construction guy's eyes. It touched his heart. I want to talk about the blood of justification. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says this, Much more then, this is the text we were in to start with, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. What is justification in the Bible? It's a legal term. Even the, the word justification sounds like justice. When there is a wrong that is done, when a crime has been perpetrated, there is need for a bar of justice. Being justified is being declared innocent, righteous. But not because you're innocent or righteous, 
but because another is innocent and righteous. Let's look together at Romans chapter 3, verse 26. To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ Himself is just. As He stands before holy God, righteous God, there is no sin. There is no history of wrong. There is not even the thought of sin. He stands just before His Father. But here's the good news for me and you. He is your justifier. With His righteousness and what He accomplished both through a perfectly obedient life all the way to the obedience at the cross and obeying the Father's will from the heart. On the basis of that, if you receive that gift of righteousness by faith, The guilt is gone. You have His innocence. You have His righteousness. His righteousness is credited to your account. But you know it's even more than that. What kind of standing does Jesus have before His Father? It's really good, isn't it? When He was being baptized... The Father spoke from heaven and said, This is My Son in whom I am well pleased. There is an incredible close relationship between Daddy God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification brings everything that He enjoys, Jesus enjoys in His relationship with His Father and gives it to you as a gift. Some have said that justification is just as if you never sinned. I don't like that definition because it misses out so much. You have the same standing that the Lord Jesus Christ has. You have a standing before God of being blessed, of being a beloved child of God, of being a rightful heir. Believer, you are loved by Father God just as much as Father God loves Jesus. Jesus says that, you know, in John 17, 26. That's what the blood of justification accomplished for you. This is what Jesus' shed blood and sacrifice did for you. Again, back to our text, Romans 5, 8 through 9. God demonstrates his own love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, having now been justified by His blood. Notice the tense. Having now been done. Justified. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. I have a few more, but I see the clock is running out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick one of these. And this is a hard choice. Sandy, I want you to do me a favor, please. Uh, If you would bring up Hebrews chapter 10. I don't know how many of these verses I'm going to get through. Not too many. Hebrews chapter 10. And then we'll close with this.
We'll do the first three verses to start. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices of blood and goats, bulls and goats, which they offer continually year by year. Do you know why they offer them continually year after year? Because it was imperfect. Look, if you think you're not good enough or righteous enough, then you've got to keep doing the same thing to justify yourself before God. But the thing can be settled if you receive by faith this gift of righteousness. For then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers, listen to this, once purified. would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Therefore, I love this, when He came into the world, verse 5, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. He says that to you. He meets you where you are. He says, I have come. I have come. Disaster of this, that has come onto this world because of sin and sinners. I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying sacrifices and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. When the Bible says something twice, pay attention to it. It's really important. He takes away the first. That's the covenant of law that brings about condemnation to establish the second, which is the new covenant of grace, which, by the way, is another dimension of the blood, establishes the covenant. And by that will, look at verse 10, by that will, whose will? Your will? Going, okay, I will be a better person. I will try harder. I will be righteous. No, by the will of Jesus Christ, who determinately came, who came to you, and this is what He did at the cross. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I'll tell you what. That statement in the Bible is one of the most powerful statements there could ever be. Jesus Christ intervenes in everything that has been going wrong with us. And He does everything right. He does everything by His own perfect blood, His perfect body, His perfect life, His perfect obedience. And by that will, all the time saying to the Father, Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. When He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and it stressed Him out so awfully to think about what was coming, not only the physical suffering, but the spiritual suffering, when He would experience sin, curse, sickness, and disease heaped upon Him, yours, mine. He said, If it's possible, take this away. But not my will, but your will be done. Do you know that God sent angels and ministered to him? Enabling him 
to do what he did. By that will, we have been sanctified. And that's another word that is so misunderstood in the church today. We think sanctification is about you getting to be a better person. No. The core idea of sanctified is the Greek, is the, the word holy. And holy with regard to God refers to the fact that He is totally other. He's transcendent. I am not God. He is. That's the distinction of who He is. Holiness with regard to you is God, the Holy One, separating you to Himself. That's what sanctification is. You, believer, stand holy, perfectly holy, not because of how good you are, but because of how good He is. This is the demonstration of the love of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, this is such a holy moment, a beautiful moment in time. And Father, again, I, I leave my lack of confidence in myself and my ability to communicate this and I rest in the sureness of Your Word. Now, Lord, take this Word which we have shared together, Your Word, and do the thing in our hearts and our lives to bring a deeper revelation of Your costly love. And Father, This is a love that you are very willing to pour out. In fact, Father, I would say you are happy to do so because you're that good. Father, you mean to bring us into your blessedness. You mean to bring us into your goodness. You mean to bring us into your your house. You mean to bring us into a family and in a church. You mean to make us ambassadors. You mean to reconcile us. You mean to cleanse us. You mean to make us holy. You mean to make us new creations in Christ. Because that's the meaning of how great your love is. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for what you're doing right here, right now. I thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of these people here and the hearts of people that are watching and hearing through way of the internet. Thank you, Lord, for transforming lives. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us a deeper introduction to your radical love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It says in John chapter 3, verse 16, and maybe you've heard this verse before, it's powerful and it is so loaded with truth. It's so appropriate for this time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to ask you, listening friend, what have you done 
with the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know he did it for you? If we look closely at John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world. In another part of the New Testament, in Romans chapter 5, it says that God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to think of one person in your life, you don't have to say anything, but just bring this person to mind who you would consider probably an enemy or at least someone who treats you like as the saying is, like trash. Now, think about what that person deserves. That person probably deserves judgment of one sort or another. They've done wrong against you, and the wrong needs to be made right. That's what God did when he sent his only begotten son, not to those who loved him or liked him, but to those who could care less about him. That's the problem of ungodliness that the Bible talks about. And the Bible says that the problem of sin in the human race, and I'm not talking so much about individual acts of sin, I'm talking about sin, this condition that's in the human race. We talked about that in the last part of the message last week, that sin causes rebellion. It causes us to turn against God who has done good. I'm reminded of a friend of mine, a Christian uh, sister in the Lord, whose brother has not turned to Christ yet. And in her effort to share about the goodness and the love of God, do you know what he this, this brother said to her? He said, oh, I did it all myself. All this stuff that's happened good in my life, it's all because of what I did. And I just thought, my, what crass ungratitude. Do you realize that it is God who gave him the creativity, he's a photographer, to do the things that he does. God gave him a brain to function. God even gave him breath and heartbeat to live. And if you didn't have that, You couldn't accomplish anything. All of us owe a great debt of gratitude to God. And yet, because of the sinful condition, the attitude of so many is like, God, who really gives a care? And yet he's there. This condition of not just a... an attitude like that, but also an attitude of rebelling against God who is so good. This is the problem of the whole human race. And what is God's response to this? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. And God demonstrating his own love in that while we were yet sinners, those who hated God, Christ died for us. Friend, if this is touching your heart, that's because God is speaking through me to you and imploring you to see rationally the goodness of God that's been extended to you time after time after time. How many times has he protected you? How many times has he provided for you 
and helped you and blessed you, and maybe you could have cared less. God so loved the world, he loved you, dear friend. How much did he love you and me that he gave? This is a gift. He gave his only begotten son that whoever, and I love that word, whoever in the Bible, because it includes you, it includes me, whoever would believe on him. It doesn't say believe in him. It says believe on him. And that speaks of a life trust. I'm sitting in a chair right now. And I sat in this chair resting, and I'm doing it right now, my whole weight on this chair because I trust that this chair will hold me up, and it is. Thank God for that. This is the kind of uh, thing we're talking about when John 3.16 says, whoever believes on him. It is putting your whole soul, your whole life upon him, just like you take your whole weight and you sit down and let your whole weight rest upon that chair. We're talking about a life trust of him. Whoever believes on him, this one who did it all, you've been hearing about this in this message. And then the verse continues, would not perish. Sin, the condition of sin in the human life and the human race is terrible. All the wrong and the evil that's going on is because of the invasion of sin in the human race on this planet. Sin is so serious that it has a perishing, a killing effect, not only now, but for eternity. My dear friend, A million trillion years from now, you will be alive because God created you with an immortal soul. Your body will die, but not you. But the question will be this. There will be those who will die and for all of eternity, they will live getting what they deserve, hell because they refused God's gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there will be those who will humbly and have humbly said to God, thank you for the gift of your love and your son. And I take this gift. I receive it. Thank you, Father. You see, hell is for those who totally reject the son, who say no way. And they'll deserve it. The only means by which God can save you from the wrath to come is his own son. And if you reject Jesus, there is nothing left to save you but yourself. Good luck with that. It will not go well. But the good news of the gospel is that God gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. What is this belief? It's recognizing what we've talked about in this message, that Jesus did it all for you personally. 
It is personally recognizing sin in your own life, not just individual acts of sin and rebellion against God, but a heart of sin that says, when the chips are down, I prefer myself above good God. And you recognize that you are a sinner, lost. And do as I did many years ago. Understand that Jesus did all that loving and sacrificing at the cross for you. And say, Father, thank you that his sacrifice is enough for me. I receive that gift now. Let's pray, as a matter of fact. You can receive this gift of salvation, and that's exactly what it is. This gift of righteousness, this gift of a new life being born again, just like you receive any other gift, by taking it and thanking the one who gave you the gift. Let's pray. If this is your prayer and you mean it, pray it from your heart with me. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God, I recognize in my own life that I am a sinner. I recognize that I'm lost in my selfishness, in my sinfulness, and there's no way out of it. Thank you, God, that you love me so much that you sent your Son to die for me in my place. Thank you, God, for what you have done for me through Jesus. I believe on Jesus. And I want to pause right now in this prayer, dear friend. The Bible says that if you confess, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Let's continue the prayer. Lord, I believe that he died for me and that he rose again for me. And I confess with my mouth right now that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for the gift of righteousness and salvation. Thank you for making me a member of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. My dear listening friend, if you prayed that prayer with me, and you really meant it, with all of your heart, the Bible says that you are a new creation. And I want to hear from you. The best way that you can reach out to me is stop by our website at dailyinchrist.org. That's dailyinchrist.org. And we would love to hear from you. There is a item on the menu up at the top of every page of the website that says, I believe, contact. Just click on that and there's a form. Please let me know that you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That will be a great blessing. 
Well, we have gone a little bit past time, but my, nothing can be more important than the business that we have taken care of together. I'm Mark Van Oos. Dear friend, I want to remind you once again of what it says in Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him.